Step into the confession. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Uh, I think something's wrong with our audio. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Welcome to the Clergy Confessions Podcast. We're committed to sharing truly awful experiences of ministers in complete anonymity. Without fear of reprisal, our guests can tell you their stories in full details. To protect the innocent, we've altered their voice and taken out context clues. So good luck trying to guess who these folks are. And if you're trying to, it might be time to change your priorities. And don't mistake these stories in an indictment of the church, as each episode is capped off with guidance on healthier approaches when facing moments of turmoil and conflict. In other words, we're not dumping on the church and we're not dumping on vocational ministry. Welcome to the confessional. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's always a dangerous thing between the two of us for me to hit record. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it does put um, evidence on, on record. So, <laughs> well, um, you're well aware of the live mic, uh, fiasco that recently happened at our uh, denominational gathering in which I'm caught in the background innocently talking about where the closest bathroom is but the good news is that's all I ask questions about <laughs> knowing uh, there's a pretty good chance that I was going to be talking about you know something uh, of course like biblical interpretation and theological insight but you know I just happened to be asking where the closest bathroom is because I really had to go right then and there so yeah, the best part would have been if you'd gone into the bathroom and started streaming TikToks, and that yeah. was coming through the microphone. <laughs> well, when the when the spirit moves, spirit moves a lot with with my end. So, um, speaking of live mics, um, you know, we're trying to we're still trying to figure out what this whole thing is. Um, you know, uh, we're having these conversations, we're hearing these fascinating and horrifying stories, and then trying to help ministers unpack them. Hopefully, be a resource for. For churches, you know, and, and who knows the order of these stories that, that you know, they're going to be released. But today, we, we kind of have a, a, an interesting one. Uh, and I'm not going to say kind of interesting. It is an interesting story. Um, say, go but, ahead and offend, offend the guest before yeah. they even get a chance to start talking. <laughs> this is why this is why typically <laughs> I have a script uh, for other things uh, so that Andy doesn't open his mouth and say something he shouldn't. So we have a very interesting story today. So uh, caller, minister, uh, welcome to the confessional. What is your story? So I would like to just start off by saying that if I was to write a book about complicated church relationships, I would title it, It's Not About the Pushpins. Uh, I came up with this title while serving at a church and experiencing the dynamics between the church's weekday preschool and the Sunday morning volunteers. Uh, but every church that I have been a part of has had its fair share of tension and drama and arguments between a weekday preschool and the church over sharing space. Um, and it's been my experience that uh, with the exception of sweet church ladies who have their very specific spot that they sit in in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings, um, there's very few places in the church that have as much tension over space than preschools and Sunday school teachers. Yeah, so um, nothing will nothing will piss off the yeah. most meek and kindly person. You know, children's scissors being misplaced. My stuff has been taken, or who messed up this room? Or my favorite go-to was, uh, was this room sanitized afterwards? And you're like, well, I walked in the room, 
and it smells like somebody dropped a Lysol bomb. And so fun fact about Brian, a hundred years ago, I was an assistant director of a weekday program at a church. And so then when I also a minister at that church, so when I showed up on Sunday, I caught it from the Sunday volunteers. And on Monday, I caught it from the weekday staff. So that was a good time. Fun fact also too, on that Brian story was he wasn't being figurative on those years. He actually worked in a church a hundred years ago. He actually was the one that developed the whole concept of Sunday school as we know it today. So thank you, Brian, for your longevity. But here's the good news. You haven't aged a bit. You look great. The skin's great. It's you're, wonderful. You're, you're still the worst. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you're setting us up for an amazing conflict, an amazing duel of, of spaces, if you will. Sure, yeah. So it all began uh, when um, a Sunday school teacher made the request to be able to put some of her items up on a bulletin board in a classroom that was shared by a Sunday school class and a weekday preschool. Uh, because she wanted when children who were members of the church and part of the church when they came in on Sunday morning for them to be able to see the artwork that they had created and to see the memory verse for the month and for them to feel like this was a classroom that they were a part of and not just a room that they were borrowing. And so the room had two bulletin boards and she wanted to be able to have one of them and let the preschool have the other. Uh, and she was met with a very strong, yeah, that's not going to happen by the preschool director, uh, the reasoning being uh, that the preschool children and the preschool itself used this room 50 hours a week and the church used it for just three hours. And therefore, since the preschool was there 18 times longer than the church children, they got to claim the space and the room as theirs and that there just wasn't room and wasn't the option for the Sunday school kids to have um, any any evidence that this room was was also theirs or that they had been present. It was only allowed to be decorated and used as preschool space. So that's how this all began. So as it goes, churches create a preschool or child development center or a Mother's Day Out program, which again, most churches need to change that name to Parents Day Out pro for a mission, but also to make a little money. Mm -hmm. And quickly, the space is more dedicated towards this mission and ministry versus spiritual formation and community and mission sending and those kinds. That's kind of where we are. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there was a lot of conversations that went on for weeks back and forth uh, between the Sunday school teacher and the preschool director and the compromise that uh, everyone came up with was for there to be a bulletin board in the hallway that was near the check-in station that was used on the Sunday mornings. And that could be the dedicated bulletin board for Sunday school and for church announcements, church things of that sort. So the Sunday school teacher uh, spent hours, and that's not an exaggeration, spent hours creating a bulletin board and it was beautiful. Uh, came in on a Sunday morning, put it up so that it was, or on a Saturday morning, put it up so it was ready for Sunday. And when she walked in on Sunday morning, uh, she discovered that everything from the bulletin board had been taken off and stacked in a pile. And there was a little container that had the push pins in it that she had used to hold up the materials and a simple post-it note that just said, uh, you can't use push pins on bulletin boards, staples only. And that was it. And uh, this started a just um, 
months long battle between the preschool director and the Sunday school teacher over the shared space. The reason that the preschool director decided to take down the bulletin board was because in her mind, she is in charge of taking care of 100, 125 tiny humans who like to put things in their mouth. And she was afraid a pushpin would fall off of the bulletin board, land on the ground, a child would pick it up and put it in their mouth on her watch. And it would just be an endless, you know, paperwork and medical emergencies. And so she took it upon herself to prevent this from happening and by being proactive and took down the bulletin board um, and, and was just had decided that this was going to be the solution to the problem. Two quick things. Again, points of clarity. Number one, if you're going to do like this kind of like passive aggressive stuff, you've got to be more subtle with it. Like if I was this person, I would have gone like one or two pieces of the bulletin board like per day or maybe per week. So over a period of time, eventually this whole thing is dissolved so that every time the person comes in, they're like, I feel like something's off of this board and they can't quite figure it out. And then eventually they see the big pick. Second thing there, the push pins. I'm going to say good call on that because uh, the human body um, swallowing sharp objects, there's a there's a lot of potential problems there. Sure. Have, have you had personal firsthand experience with that? I have eaten some things in which I have the actual phrase has come out of my mouth. I feel like I've eaten a bushel of push pins. <laughs> That's like the reaction my body was having to something I've I've consumed. So, OK, back back to your story. No, it's okay. <laughs> Um, a bush, a bushel of pushpins. What would you call a, a group, a gaggle, a gaggle of pushpins? I, I'm drawing it like, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I'll ponder these things and come up with an answer. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, so yeah, this just, um, you know, I would like to say that the solution to this problem is that everyone sat down and everyone had a very uh, civil and cordial conversation and compromises were, were made and everyone left happy um but it, instead it just accelerated all of the the territory wars that were happening and so the sunday school teacher would show up on sunday morning and find that nearly all of the toys had been removed from the room uh and put in storage behind the locked door so that the children had nothing to play with there would be masking tape over cabinets that were labeled preschool only and if um, the Sunday school teacher opened one of those cabinets and the tape was broken, uh, then and the seal was broken, then it was reported to the preschool director, which then shifted to instead of masking tape, we're going to put locks with keys on the doors and not give you access. And so it just kind of snowballed um, for a, a long time, longer than it should have, until eventually the Sunday school teacher just said, I'm done I'm, and left the church, uh, you know, and that was the end of that. Um, and so just over and over again, my experience has been with churches that I, you know, space is important and it is holy and sacred and it is hard sometimes to find that middle ground. Uh, you know, this, as I've said, this has happened in multiple churches that I've served where uh, things are taken down from walls on Friday when the preschool leaves and the Sunday school teacher will come in over the weekend and put up their own decorations so that it feels like a Sunday school room and then we'll take those decorations down after an hour so that the preschool teacher has to come back and redecorate their room for Monday through Friday. It just seems like there's always tension in these two areas and 
I know it's possible to make it work, but it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. And so um, I'm sure that there are staff members and church members out there who could share even more cringeworthy stories than this of what shared space looked like, especially between preschool and church, uh, church groups and Sunday school classes. Um, but it's, it can get ugly really quick, but it's usually not about the pushbins. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it's, it's never about the pushbins, but in this case, it could be about the pushbins, to be honest. Like, like <laughs> children consuming pushbins, a gaggle, especially a gaggle of pushbins. I submit uh, hoi, hoi polloi of pushbins. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never about the, the object, if you will. Uh, it's always about something more. It's It's about control uh it's about uh power you know masked in this this other thing but it's amazing to me how much passive aggressive behavior is um not touched on within congregational life well one of the things that was frustrating about this situation was that a lot of these things were happening and like the church staff wasn't even aware that it was all going on because there was this battle happening between a volunteer and the preschool director, but neither of those parties came and said, hey, we're experiencing this, this thing going on and we would like some help or we would like to find an agreement that we can come to. They were just doing it all on their own. And so things got really out of control. And then, and the church member leaves and like, where is this coming from? Only to discover that this had been going on for weeks and weeks, months. And, and there was just no, no, it was happening privately, except not privately because everyone kind of knew what was going on, you know, so. So I, I guess to kind of take this a little personal while keeping it confidential, you know, with the hundreds of thousands of people we know are listening to this this podcast series um how were how are you directly affected by this how are you treated how are you communicated to about this how are you thrown into the mix of this yeah so i was brought into the situation um after um i would probably say it had been six or seven weeks was when i was finally made aware of everything that was going on and uh, then felt like there was literally nothing I can do to help resolve it had I been brought into the conversation as soon as the bulletin board had been taken down and the push pins had been removed, it might have been a little bit easier for us to uh, prevent all of the arguing and passive aggressiveness and essentially a church family leaving the church. And so not only did, was that just frustrating for me as the person who was kind of, you know, overseeing the preschool and overseeing the children's ministry, um, it also just, you know, made me feel like I was just not paying attention, but they were doing a really good job of covering it up. And so it was just hard for me to find that balance of like, what could I have done differently? And the answer was, well, I don't know if there's anything I could have done differently because I only know what I know. Hmm. And I wasn't, hadn't been informed of all of this happening. Um, and it just made, you know, personnel committees and other church families raise a lot of questions when they saw this longtime family just decide to leave the church. And well, why are you leaving? You know, my name was kind of dragged to the mud a little bit with this particular family. Um, because to them, in their mind, I was the one that didn't stick up for them 
but I didn't know that I needed to stick up for them because all of this was happening, you know, without me being aware. Uh, so I, you know, so many things could have gone differently. The family still may have left, but at least I would have been able to have a part in helping try to resolve some of the things and come up with a solution that was better in the long run rather than the passive aggressive fighting and things that was going on. Quick clarifying question too, before we invite Brian to talk, you know, besides talking about how just how old he is um, and how he was servicing churches over 100 years ago, thought and then question, um, you know, most likely if this family was leaving over the push pins, there's nothing you could do to prevent their deep offense in the fact that they raised their children on a diet of push pins. Um, and, you know, once you believe those are bite sized vitamins, it's hard to sell somebody differently on that. The second clarifying question, which is like, when you're introduced into a situation in which you're not directly involved in that conflict, right? How, you know, how, how do you feel like you fairly listen to both sides? Cause there is a two side thing to this, this type mm-hmm. of thing. So like, how, how was that received? Yeah. So, um, I think at, at the point that I was brought into the conversation, no matter what I said or did, the family and the Sunday school teachers that ended up leaving, like they were already gone. They, you know, so it, no matter, and, and I don't even know if like firing the director and the preschool teacher that were involved in this situation would have been enough. <laughs> because at that point, they were so frustrated and felt like I hadn't done my part in defending them and sticking up for them. I don't know that it would have mattered anything that I did. But again, if I'd been brought into the conversation sooner, it, it could have had a different outcome uh, because I would have been able to, you know, just say, like, we will share space. Like, you know, I realize that we're only here as the church three hours a week, but those three hours are important hours, you know? And so I, I feel like um, because, you know, six or seven weeks had gone on where I was just, just didn't know this was happening, the damage was already done and nothing I could have said would have changed their minds. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it, it just would have been helpful for me to have known, you know, earlier on that things were going on so that I could try to at least find a different compromise um, than what we came to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a frustrating situation because you've got two people in the, or two parties in this instance that, that both have good intentions. Um, that have somehow gotten sideways with each other. And so I'm, I'm really curious how you as minister um, get pulled into this uh, really care, spend some time. I mean, at that point you have to advocate for yourself with the personnel committee, with people who are doing the, the back channel conversations, um, the pastor. Uh, I'm curious what kind of support you had in all of this, or were you left out there on an island? Uh, once I was made aware of what was going on, um, the the pastor definitely had my back, uh, which I very much appreciate. But so he tried to help uh, coach me through conversations, um, but also wanted me to learn how to do this. And so wasn't necessarily always in the room for those conversations. There were times where I just said, I need you there. Like, this is outside of what I can handle on my own. And I appreciate you trusting me and believing in me enough to know that I have enough authority to make these decisions. But unfortunately, as an associate, that doesn't always, 
it, that's not always the reality. You know, sometimes you need the senior pastor to come in and to kind of throw down the hammer a little bit. Um, and and the benefit of having the senior pastor involved was that he knew that there were that this was not the first time that a situation like this had happened, and he knew that there had been lots of areas of tension with this particular director. Um, and so he was able to shed some of light on that. But for me, that just kind of raised more questions of like, if this is a consistent, repeated behavior, why is it still happening, and why hasn't you know haven't bigger changes been made, um, or more accountability put onto the parties involved? Um, so you know, I, I did feel supported eventually, but at the same time, you know, I was learning how to lead and supervise. And so, you know, sometimes I did feel like I was making decisions on my own um, and then processing after the fact. Yeah, and that's okay, um, right? I mean, that, that's part of, of growing in leadership, but it is encouraging to hear that there was, um, that there was support in a situation because that's, that's important for any senior pastor who may be listening to hear as well, that, mm-hmm. um, that, that you, you are hiring folks that sometimes are going to need you to walk alongside them in, in hard spaces. Uh, sometimes they're going to need to let, let you lead. And then sometimes they're going to need to lead. So that's, that's a really helpful uh, piece. I, I'm grateful for you sharing your story. Um, you know, I, I <laughs> you, you said early on that there are probably not too many people who have, have, been in that space that haven't experienced the tension between uh, two groups. Uh, and so I think you're exactly right. So I'm, I'm very grateful for you taking the time to share your story. Uh, sure. and, Andy, any other, any other thoughts over there? Um, just good luck with uh, getting people to join your anti-pushpin Facebook page. Um, <laughs> you know, I know we're moving to a, a, a non-paper world, but there's still a necessity for uh, posting things and locking things into cork boards. And until you come up with a better solution for children's rooms, um, I'm still going to be on that bus. So <laughs> thanks for the support. <laughs> the underpinning of the story is, is something well that I, I think every congregation has to deal with, which is shared space. But mm-hmm. an even greater issue is as more and more of our congregations try to think um intentionally and innovatively around sharing their space with outside partners for Mm -hmm. incarnational purposes for uh revenue for budget purposes to kind of subsidize um you know offerings um creating rules of engagement or policies and communication outlets i think is you know going to become an absolute necessity because imagine okay this is one church family but, uh, you know, and this is a ministry connected to another ministry in church, but imagine if you try to create this incarnational partnership with something that's completely unrelated to church life, but they're using their space, and then you have somebody in the church that's passive, passively aggressively doing this. What kind of signals is that sending? What kind of messages is sending? How is it representing your church to the community? There's all sorts of issues that can rise out of um, adults not being adults. Right, right. I mean, that's... It's ultimately what it boils down to is is there was a communication issue, a, a loud and 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 clear communication issue. That was the first thing that jumped out at me in the story. Uh, you know, if, if these folks had just had some interaction to begin with that was in a controlled environment, 
we probably have a different outcome. That said, that goes back to the point you just made about um, about policies and understanding. I think it's really important as churches enter into partnerships, uh, whether it be from an outreach perspective or uh, an income generating perspective where it's shared space, that you've got to start with expectations. There has to be some sense of uh, this is how we expect the space to be used. This is how we expect to communicate with each other. It's, it's usually pretty clear what the expectation is on where, when the rent is due, so to speak, right? So if we can come up with that conversation, we need to be thinking also about how do our, how do our partnerships have uh, clear expectations as well? And one of those has to be communication. Um, how is the space used? Look, a Sunday school teacher has no idea, for the most part, and I'm just painting with a broad brush. Period. <laughs> sorry. Oh, you've got more to that. You yeah. got more to that sentence. Okay. Sorry. I, I do. I do. Thank you very much. <laughs> I happen to like Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, shout out to Maria Holt who taught third grade Sunday school at Salem Baptist church for like 30 years. Solid. Uh, one of the best people that's ever done it. Excellent. Well done. Uh, no, I, I think when it comes to the, the regulations that weekday programs face, particularly those that are in some sort of state licensure program, the expectations are significant on how that space is maintained. Well, again, most Sunday school teachers are probably not in those conversations. They don't wake up thinking about, oh, a push pin is a problem because it looks like candy that that three-year-old Andy might want to eat, <laughs> right? <laughs> that we finally, that's what this session has been. The, the main takeaway from the session is I'm processing the things I shouldn't have eaten as a toddler. And that's what's wrong with me today. Well so the, those paint chips that you're peeling off the wall and eating in Sunday school class. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, so I, 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 I think we oftentimes move into some of these relationships with um, a Pollyanna perspective that it's all just going to be okay. We're a church. They're a daycare. We will figure this out as we go. And truth of the matter is you're operating with two different um, uh, uh, motivations. One is outreach. One is spiritual formation and the other is income generating. Right. And, 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 there's still a formational aspect, but not, but oftentimes it's they're they're not quite aligned. So how do you, how do you get to that point? Because whether you like it or not, anybody using your space represents the church in the community. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting here. And there's, there's a lot we can unpack about how conflict is managed and how it's approached within a congregation. And we can get to that eventually, but you know, the reality is for a lot of churches, whether it be an, MDO or PDO or a child development center or preschool, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's one aspect of shared space. Right. But then as you think about opening your space up to, to other people, the hard reality is you're probably inviting somebody in there. Yes. For missional purposes, but also because you have unused space or it's, it's used so infrequently that um, you need to be creative about using it, which means that groups who used to use it or maybe use it once a week, um, who are possessive about their space are now affected by that. And those are hard conversations to have, but also those are intentional conversations that need to pl take place. So when I was at University of Baptist Church um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we 
knew we wanted to expand our Mother's Day Out program because it was very effective. Um, it was a wonderful ministry. Um, so we want to expand the number of classes we were offering, which meant we had to expand beyond the children's wing of the first floor. And in the same building, in order to do that, that meant we were taking over senior adult and retiree Sunday school classes. And you want to think that that's an easy conversation? <laughs> it's not. To say, hey, your group that meets in this very large space that would be a wonderful uh, nursery area or toddler room. Um, I know you meet here once a week for one hour, but we have a greater purpose behind it. No, by the way, we actually have uh, wonderful renovated spaces that you could meet in. But for all those people, they remember the people and, and rightly so remember the people who once were in that class that maybe have left the church and gone on to uh, other churches or the people who, who had passed and moved on and all the memories and legacy that's there. That's not an easy conversation. So you had to be very intentional about using that space. And imagine, so we ran into this very early UBC when we started expanding down the hall, classrooms that were not part of the expansion yet, some of our MDO teachers were putting content into those rooms thinking they were just storage rooms, you know, so mm. a senior adult class showing up on Sunday morning and there's a, you know, a kid's rug on the ground with toys scattered all over it. You know, that created a more difficult conversation from our end um, than, than should have been. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to expectations, right? Um, and what I love about what you're talking about with the, with the university example is at a certain point, you had to find some way to invite them into this growing ministry and, and talking about how space is used and talking about how they're cared for. Um, you, you know, we can sit around a table and have a strategy session and it all makes sense, right? But then when you go to that Sunday school class, there's an emotional angle that's a part of that as well. Um, it, there, there are stories that are part of that space. That space in some way is sacred to that group. Um, so how do you how do you not just make a pronouncement that this is going to happen, but invite them to be part of the process of it happening? I know it's a little bit of a nuanced thing, but you know we we can oftentimes make decisions um, without really thinking about okay, I've sat with this for two weeks and I'm getting ready to hit this this group with it cold and expect them to be right on board. Um, so I, I think those are some of the pieces that we have to to, to do better at as well, you know, from not just communicating from the external partners, but also with our, with our folks who are in, in that, who are already inhabiting that space. I guess my other big takeaway from this piece is we're, we're often reactive to conflict versus proactive and preventative is not the word. The word eventually will come to me or maybe it won't, you know, we, we have situations like this and then we try to manage the conflict. But what would happen if a congregation said, um, look, we're going to have conflict in our church. There's going to be things that are going to happen at every single possible level. Sunday school classes among staff, among deacons and staff members, among any particular group. Here is our process of having conversations about conflict you might face. So saying, hey, instead of just, you know, oh, let me figure out the situation's happening. It's been happening for several weeks to say, now not everybody's going to come to you, but you know, for, for an individual to say, hey, look, if there's an issue that's happening with you, please come to me and have a conversation about that. Or please go to this committee and have a conversation about that so that we can help you not manage this yourself. Um, I'm not saying it would prevent conflict, but it might prevent the result of somebody leaving because they were never given the avenue and felt by themselves or felt like the church was ignoring their needs. Even though nine times out of 10 for church people listening to this, we don't know because nobody told us. 
Right. Um, right. The Lord is omnipresent. <laughs> we are not. And well, <laughs> we we do know some ministers whose egos are at a level that they think they're omnipresent. Easy. Um, that was that was Andy Hale making that statement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's be honest. If the, if there were if the one of those ministers, they're not listening to this podcast because oh, they've true. already got it all figured out. So uh, they don't they don't need our help. So so yeah. So you know, I, I guess you know, I don't know if they, you know how do we how do we prevent unhealthy dialogue by not only creating avenues for healthy dialogue, but maybe even as much as we're training people for different roles within the church, we train people around conflict management within the church. Uh, absolutely. And I think a big part of that starts when there is no tangible conflict, right? There's an onboarding process. When, when you go into a new company, you're taught about how to, how to file grievances, right? It, there's an expectation that there's going to be conflict. Um, it's, we're human. That, that's sort of the human story is that we find ourselves in conflict and church is no different. Um, it's the, the problem is we try to play nice and, and I'm not saying that you have to play dirty in conflict, but what happens is in the process of trying to play nice, we just proliferate this passive aggressive stuff, or we just pack up, take our ball and go home. Um, neither of which are healthy behaviors, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're called to community. Uh, that's a part of being a, a, a you know, a church body. Uh, so so I think, yes, it, does it feel good to say we know there's going to be conflict and here are, here are some vehicles for how we address it? No, it doesn't feel good. But when conflict happens and we know we have somewhere to go or our, or our, our congregant knows where they have somewhere to go or a, a member of the preschool staff knows they have somewhere to go to address this before it becomes this ugly thing, then, then that while still uncomfortable, at least feels better. Like I'm being seen. I have a chance to be heard. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to leave. They're going to leave. They're looking for that reason, you know, and you can't prevent all people from leaving, but certainly one of the things about this kind of situation where somebody does leave is you don't want that person to take that unhealthy baggage with them to the next place they go. Or more importantly, the one who stayed, you don't want a set of precedent that this is how you handle things. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's, just, it's a silly example, but um, in premarital counseling, when, when, I, when my wife and I were, were preparing to get married, one of the conversations we had with our, with our counselor was, how, are, how will you fight? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, Oh, we have to have rules of engagement or at least understand how to do this in a way that's productive and healthy. Um, I mean, so, so at a personal level, we do this at a, at a work or corporate level, we do this. Now, why don't we have these conversations and systems in place in our congregations, particularly with external partners? Yeah. So for our listeners, if you want to be proactive in this, this is not products of ourselves we're pushing, but there's two resources I'd point to. One is a pay resource that's really good. It's out of the Alvin Institute. Um, it's Discover Your Conflict Management Style. Um, it's an amazing resource. It uh, gives a breakdown of biblical examples of conflict, but then it has an assessment in the back to help individuals understand their particular conflict management style based on some questions they have. And that is amazing conversation for a leadership team. It's amazing conversation for a staff. Um, you know, a coordinating council within a church. Um, it's an amazing resource. I, I want to say it's like three or four dollars per book. 
Um, but if you also email one of us or send us a note through through the website, there's also a, a really cool resource called a temperament test that um, both of us use often in our consulting work and developmental work. I actually started using that in my premarital uh, coaching sessions with couples when I was doing that. Um, it's it's a great resource to help you understand your temperament in normal times and your tip temperament own stress and conflict situations. And it's all about self-recognition, but also if you can have group conversations about the results from this, um, it helps us better understand the buttons of other people and choosing maturely not to push those buttons or to understand where somebody's coming from, where, okay, this is how they particularly deal with these kinds of things um, and recognizing the humanity and diversity with that individual versus just assuming the worst in them. Right. Right. Even, even recognizing that some people are conflict averse and how to invite them into those hard conversations is a part of that temper, temperament work. It's like some people just don't want to do that. They don't want to engage uh, because it, it doesn't feel good. Right. So, you know, I, I don't do a tremendous amount with the Enneagram. I know enough to be dangerous, but as an Enneagram seven, I'm ready to move on to the next happy time. Right. I don't want to sit in the pain, which means I don't want to sit in the conflict. Um, but so sometimes I need somebody who invites me into that. Right. And understanding that about my coworkers or people that I'm in a relationship with are, are really important um, as well. So it's not just about understanding who we are. It's also understanding how, who we are relative to those that we're, we're working alongside and working with. And I'm uh, since I'm really familiar with Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 27 which means that um, I want to go into a corner and suck my thumb and cry and rock back and forth rather than deal with the conflict. 27 is on the, the, the pentagram scale, right? The thing that, you know. It's, it's somewhere out there. I think it's one yeah. of those things that we used to fold as kids. And uh, <laughs> I believe we called them cootie catchers. I believe that's what the 27 is, the tip yeah. of the cootie catcher. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I think this is the first conversation we've had in which I didn't feel like I needed to take a shower afterwards, but I, f <laughs> I felt like it was one that is so common yet so mismanaged within churches that hopefully this would be a resource for people to think differently about the interpersonal conflicts that take place, space partnerships within churches, uh, but certainly, you know, going back to that, being proactive uh, and addressing these things before they happen. Not that, again, it would fix it or prevent it, but it would give everyone better tools to manage the situation in a mature, oh, and in a Christ-like way, uh, if, if possible. Uh, yeah, because our, our spaces are sacred, right? Uh, whether they be a sanctuary, an education space, a gymnasium, you know, an activity center. Um, and there's, but, but two different people can step into the same space and depending how they use it, they hold it sacred for different reasons. Uh, and, and so how do we, how do we do the best job we can of, of getting folks on the same page? Um, there's going to be more and more of the space sharing that's coming to churches. It's, it's, it's just a trend. It's, it's something we should have been doing all along because we have this amazing space to share, uh, but we've got to do it well. These should be reasons to celebrate. Um, not reasons to gird up uh, for a fight, right? And I think all too often that's what we're worried is going to happen. If you are interested in us uh, coaching you along or helping you along or pointing you to other resources for conflict management within your congregation, visit clergyconfessions.com for, for more information. And be sure to follow us 
on Twitter and uh, like and subscribe and share this show with, with as many people as you think about so that we can cross the one million listener uh, mark of this, there, this series. That's right. There's a special gift awaiting our one millionth follower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just imagine somebody... <laughs> Click subscribe, unsubscribe, click subscribe, <laughs> subscribe. They're just like trying to play the system. Four. I'm number four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be a signed picture of us high-fiving together. Virtually. Yes. <laughs> and we'll create an NFT for you. Yeah. So this shows so much our conflict management style, like as we uh, co-host this experience, is that we're not even willing to be in the same room together. So that's right. That's right. Okay. Good things don't happen when, when that's the case. But I, I am I am uh, significantly in conflict with you over uh, what we're going to call uh, a, a, a pack of pushpins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, all right, a gaggle, is that geese? Gaggle of geese? I think so. Uh, a group of, I'm just going to Google this, a group of something. Well, yeah, that... it, it could it be a colony of pushpins. Ooh, here we go. Okay. How uh, about a pod? A, a pod? band, a bank, a batch, a battery, a block, a bunch, a clot, a clump, a cluster. Knowing everybody has stopped listening to this episode by this point. Uh, there's just <laughs> yeah, so many options. That's what but... cluster that's what cluster brought to mind is people yes. quit listening. Next time I see you, and mark my words on this, I'm gonna throw a gaggle of pushpins at your face. <laughs> and again catch, catch. <laughs> still still the worst <laughs> alright folks that's it visit clergyconfessions.com if you have a story to tell or if you need help with coaching through some particular challenges you're facing as a minister or if you're a congregation that has some conflict that you need help navigating visit clergyconfessions.com and submit a form to us today you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and whatever Twitter's now called. Don't forget to like and rate and review this episode as well as the podcast. We'll see you next time in the confessional. <laughs>